We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. So last week's episode, episode 14, was the first part of our special birth plan episode. We talked about the different components of a birth plan, how detailed you might want to be, and how that kind of depends on your personality, as well as getting into using a birth plan to build relationships instead of to create confrontation. This week, the conversation is going to pick up right where we left off, and we're going to get into a really handy evaluation tool for making decisions in labor, especially when the plan is changing. Let's get into it. What if I go into labor on my own and it stalls out? Or what if uh, my water breaks and I don't start contracting? What what would you do then? Like, this is when you say that to your midwife or your doctor. You say, well, what would you do then? Yeah, and I think you have to be prepared and your partner has to be prepared because if you're, you know, if, if something is like happening during active labor or transition when you're like, you know, barely, barely coherent, you're not going to be the one asking the important questions your your partner is going to be doing that um I think no matter to what extent you've planned and thought through every eventuality and even talked with your care providers in advance about those things you may be faced with a situation where something is being recommended to you and you're just like I don't I don't know what to do and you kind of need to have tools you need to have you know the the ability to ask the right questions and we um we would have a list of, you know, important questions to ask in an intervention situation. And some of them seem very, very obvious, like, is this an emergency? You know, how will this help? I mean, these are, these are important questions Mm -hmm. to ask, because you need to, you need to be able to evaluate, like, why is this being recommended to me? I mean, sometimes it will be very obvious, they're telling you, like, your baby is in distress. And, you know, we need to, we need to have a cesarean right now. A lot of times, it's not that cut and dry. A lot of times, it's like, you know, here's how it looks like things are headed. And we think maybe this, we think maybe that, you know, there's a lot more, um, sometimes, you know, even time to evaluate. And that's the other question to ask is, you know, does this need to happen right now? Or do we have a little bit of time? Yeah. Yeah. Do we, do we have a little bit of time to think about this? What if we, what happens if we wait an hour? What happens if we wait a day? What happens if we do nothing? Like those are all valid questions. Mm Um, and then the other question is like, what are the alternatives? Like what other approaches can we try? If we're talking about induction, you know, instead of, instead of using Pitocin, you know, what other things can we do to get this going? Can we try breast stimulation? Can you try, you know, if we're talking about early and, you know, before labor has begun, can we try stripping my membranes or, you know, mm-hmm. these different things that, that may be alternatives, um, and then, you know, particularly when we're talking about something that is a chemical intervention, like a like a, a medication or something like that, asking, even if you've talked to your care provider about this before, but asking, like, what are the side effects? What are the risks? And, and you know, how is this going to help? Um, and is there a logical sequence of trying other things before we do this? And I think those are all just important, especially for the partner, to be able to to ask and evaluate those questions because you you're just not going to 
no matter how prepared you are, you're not going to have perfectly identified every situation and how you know exactly you would respond. Because, you know, you may have thought about whether you want to be induced with Pitocin or not, but you may not have thought about whether you want to be induced with Pitocin for the reason that the care provider is suggesting at this time. Correct. You know? And I think something to keep in mind, too, is, you know, once we're talking about using medical or chemical interventions, we're obviously talking about a hospital setting. Yeah. That's not something that's done outside of the hospital. I think that when you are thinking, and I love these set of questions because so much of it is the exact process that I think of when I'm working with someone who, you know, whether that's an induction patient or a patient who has been in labor but not progressing, Mm -hmm. um, between the nurse, the midwife, or the OBGYN, we we go through these set of questions for ourselves. You know, we don't think about what are the side effects or we think what is the benefit of doing this now Mm -hmm. or not now? What is, how long are we willing to to think about not, you know, so maybe we'll just talk about Pitocin because then we can talk about one specific thing. So, you know, say someone has been contracting for hours and not progressing and we think, you know, would it be useful to use Pitocin? Right. Okay. Well, and then how would we evaluate its effectiveness? And then also like, what does the patient think about this? And so it's like, these are the kind of things that on the other side of it, you're practicing the your practitioner is going through the same kind of questioning yeah. and asking these same kind of questions. I think something they can kind of come up. We talked about building the wall, the plan as a wall. Is sometimes the perspective could be, well, they want to do all these things to me and I don't want these things done to me. Right. And I think, you know, if you, again, if you're in a trusting, caring environment with a provider that you have chosen, they should be, they're considering you in their decisions as well. Yeah. You know, and I think I've been constantly surprised and impressed by that as I've, you know, even, you know, just depending on different facilities that I've worked at, if the ethic and the ethos is to allow for normal physiological labor with low interventions, the providers are fighting for that, too. They're yeah. thinking about that. And so I think that's something to keep in mind, you know, as we go down this kind of alternate pathway, too, is the more clear you are with what you want and what you expect and the more clearly you can communicate with your provider, mm-hmm. you're more likely to connect and work as a team, mm-hmm. even if that team is moving towards doing things that you never thought you would be doing, like we were saying, kind of the unexpected. Yeah. You know, and I think that you're right. I think a really important question is, is this an emergency? Yeah. Is this necessary? And, and if your provider comes to you and says, yes, you know, you still yeah. have, you still have a choice. You still have a choice to say, okay, let's do it. Or I need time to think about that. And I think yeah. that was something that when I worked as a doula that, and I like, I remember learning this in doula training that's just so powerful to me is asking if, if, if it's not an emergency, like, can we have time to think about this? Yeah. And can we have the room? Like, you know, in so many environments, I think people forget that it's like, it's okay to say like, I really want to talk to my partner about this without anyone else here. Yeah. Even maybe without your doula. I think that sometimes, you know, as a doula, like I remember being hurt by that, but it's also just like, this is your, I'm, I am, I am but a support person. Like it is you that needs to make this decision. I'm not going to make this decision for you. If you want me to be in the dialogue, great. If you don't even more respect, you're trying to, to kind of figure this out. And I think that's something, you know, as you choose any kind of, as you're making these like choices of, intervening or not intervening it's okay to ask for that too it's okay to ask mm-hmm. like you said can we have a half an hour or an hour or whatever to think about this and I yeah. think you know these are really powerful things that come out in this birth plan um mm-hmm. conversation because I think that that is something that you can ask for like yeah you know we'd like a little bit of privacy yeah you know or I've had people say 
you know, either way, like I'm standing in there with a doctor and it's like, well, what do you think to me or the opposite? You know, I've been maybe talking and they say, well, what do you think to the doctor? Or she said this. And so it's like, there's no, there's no harm in actually, you know, asking for more support and more collaboration, I guess is really the end of that. Yeah, that, that is my takeaway from birth. Absolutely. Especially my first birth where I was faced with a number of different intervention choices for me, the confidence in making those choices, and I had a birth plan that covered all of the possibilities, but I still, in those moments, I gained my confidence in the choices I made by by the collaboration and the solidarity that came from kind of consensus in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, doctor would suggest something. Um, the nurses would be like, yeah, we think it's a good idea. And my mom, I mean, my husband was like, uh, what the hell? I don't know. And my <laughs> mom would, you know, she would like really talk me through it. And, you know, it's sort of in a less scientific way, but in a, but still in a very like, like comforting and like, I like, I've been through this kind of way, just Mm -hmm. be like, yeah, I I think that this makes sense. And that, that enabled me to feel like those choices were, were the right ones and that they were at the very least worth trying, you know? And, and sometimes when you're talking about Mm -hmm. interventions, you are talking about just trying something like we're not always talking about an emergency situation where, the you know, decision needs to be made, the right, decision now. Needs to be made mm-hmm. right now. We're talking about, you know, some uh, someone that is progressing slowly or, um, you know, those kinds of things. It's like, well, let's try this and that may or may not work and we'll see what happens, yeah. you know. But I love the question, too, of, you know, is there a logical sequence of trying other things before this? Because we'll mm-hmm. just keep using the Pitocin conversation, you know, is should should we maybe be being a little bit more proactive about trying different positions to see if I'll progress that way? Mm-hmm. Should, you know, should we really work on breast stimulation? Should we, what should, you know, yeah, what should else? Should we be ambulating more? Should we? Yeah. What else can we do before we try, you know, go down that, you know, much more like one way road? Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of other things that are, you can try different positions and then you can stop doing that. You right. can you know, stimulate your breasts for a while and then decide you don't want to anymore. You know, it's a little, once you introduce chemicals, it's a little bit, a little bit less of a return ticket. Um, And some of that being, you know, kind of tying back to what we talked about a little bit earlier. If you're using chemicals, that means you're going to be monitored constantly. So that's another kind of intervention for some people that they are, Mm -hmm. would find limiting. So I think it's just kind of, kind of, again, working with your team to kind of figure out what, 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 if we choose this, what happens next, you know, or, you know, and so another thing that can come up in this conversation of interventions is, you know, uh, breaking the waters or rupturing Mm -hmm. membranes. And so for a lot of people, that's something that they are more open to, because again, instead of it being a chemical intervention, it's um, a more natural intervention. Um, It's something that happens in labor. It's something that happens on its own in labor. So I think, you know, depending on, you know, all of this is so subjective to what's going on in your labor. But I think, you know, these are the kind of these are the kind of things that you want to ask. So if I'm not progressing, you know, and you want to break my water, what does that mean? Right. Asking those same questions. We're not we're not separating these into different categories. If someone wants, you know, if if they're recommending sweeping or, you know, breaking your bag of waters, you should be asking the same questions. How Mm -hmm. will this help? You know, what are the risks? Like, how long can we wait before we do that? Once that happens, you know, how long will you give me before I, before you say this baby has to come out based on, 
you know, the protocols in your hospital and based on Mm -hmm. chances of infection and all of those things. So these questions are, you know, they apply to to all of these situations, including the ones that, you know, might seem more quote unquote natural. Yeah. And I think just like we kind of systematically talked about the different phases of labor or the different so if you go back on the path of just normal physiological labor and you have these plans for different phases of labor, now if you're on this alternative plan where maybe you're having some induction or augmentation in your labor, then, you know, what are the next steps of that as well? Or, or even just like kind of what steps you'd want in those different phases of labor with those interventions. Yeah. You know, I think with something that is always to be said with intervention is it can always, you can always back it off. Right. So if you start Pitocin, you can always stop it. Um, if you use misoprostol, you can always not take the next dose. So I think that those are things that you have to remember, too, is that just because you start down maybe an induction or augmentation plan, it doesn't mean that you're you're on that path until you deliver. Um, sometimes, you know, the idea and the purpose of induction and augmentation is to help stimulate physiological birth. The idea is that if we help you go into labor by stimulating it, whether that be chemical or non-chemical, the idea is that your body responds. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a great conversation to have with your care provider that if I, you know, again, we'll just keep using Pitocin. If I take Pitocin and my contractions do build and get stronger, can we back off and see if my body responds to that? Again, it's just a, it's a dialogue. It's not a closed conversation. And I think that that's something to keep in mind, you know, if, if we are to talk and we're not going to be talking to on this podcast about C-section or cesarean section or that intervention too much, um, other than just to say that if, if that becomes part of your plan and part of the purpose that there, those are conversations and questions to have, um, Mm -hmm. and to ask. So if, you know, for whatever reason that might be, I think it's just too big of a topic to talk about, (laughs) but if that, you know, if, if that does happen, what are the plans, Mm -hmm. you know, that you would have for me in postpartum and, yeah. And that sort of thing. So. Yeah. And and like we've said more than once in this episode, asking those questions in advance, you know, talking to your care provider about what that's going to look like if that were to happen. Because, mm-hmm. you know, these these tools and these questions to ask are are very important and valuable to have in the moment. But you're going to be better position to be making those choices and to feel um to feel like you are cared for and you can trust your provider if those conversations those especially those important ones have already been had yeah i think the next part of a birth plan that we would talk about so if we go through to pushing and what you decide about normal pushing and research that you do if you want coach pushing or uncoached pushing um i think you know there's all kinds of nuances also about like you kind of briefly mentioned tearing or episiotomy mm-hmm. um you know I think and positions and positioning for yep. pushing and I think again it's all based on kind of what you're experiencing and what your provider is comfortable with and asking for that interjected knowledge doulas have a lot of knowledge about pushing um as to care providers mm-hmm. um, and also you do um, I think your body tells you a lot about itself when you're pushing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and one of our podcasts talking about, you know, people saying like, oh, I felt so much better when I, you're pushing. Yeah. That might be true for you. It may not be. But listening to your biofeedback, listening to what, what, or even recognizing what was helping in that period mm-hmm. of transition. Was it helping to be standing? Was it helping to right. be squatting? Was it helping to be laying on your side? Yeah. Was it helpful to be on your hands and knees? Um, 
was it helpful to be for some people it is helpful to be on their back and you know using that kind of torsion of bringing their hips open with their legs some people that works very well for them so I think you know just listening to your body and making sure that your provider is comfortable with various delivering positions yeah um, I think again, you know, in, in the culture that we live in, that's more, that's more common. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a good, it's a crucial conversation to have, you know, are you comfortable with me hand delivering on my hands and knees? Yeah. Are you comfortable with me squatting Yeah. on the bed or off the bed? You know, I have more than once had a baby on a mat on the ground mm-hmm. because that's just what worked best. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a, an interesting point too about like the difference between a birth plan for a first baby and for, you know, a subsequent baby. I think that, you know, there are certain things as a first time mother, certain interventions Mm -hmm. that you would be, you know, feel confident on, on what your perspective or what your choices would be, what those, you know, feeling confident in those. There's the other piece of the preferences. Like, am I going to, Am I going to want to try these different positions? Am I going to, you know, appreciate or be comforted by these certain comfort measures? You can have all the ideas in the world. You can have taken all the birth classes and practiced all of the breathing techniques and you can do all of that. But you don't really know what's going to help you cope with labor until you're in labor. And once you've had a baby, and every every baby's different too, so let's not pretend that, you know, once you've done it once, you know exactly how it's going to go. But you do at least have a sense of like, yes, I prefer a lot of touch and encouragement, or like, mm-hmm. I really kind of want people to just leave me alone, or, you know, I moving around is very important to me, or I just like literally sit on a birth ball and like zone out and, you know, stay there the entire time. Like, you're going to have a little bit of a sense of what generally works for you. I have a friend... <laughs> who told me last week she's pregnant with her fourth and don't be jealous, but her first bait, her first labor was six hours long. Her second was four. Her third was two. So what does that mean for this one? I don't even know. (laughs) Just, just comes right on out, but this is what she did for every single labor between contractions. She just stomps around like, like heavily stomps and aggressively and then she squats the entire time for every transaction or <laughs> contraction <laughs> for every contraction. Um, and apparently it worked because six hours, four hours, two hours, and we're on number four. But she knows exactly what works. And so a birth plan might include certain things like I've had a baby before and I know that, you I know, stomp around. I'm going to stomp and it's going to be I'm like really aggressive in my stomping and like please don't even suggest other things to me because I'm just gonna stomp and then I'm gonna squat yeah um you know so that might be a a totally valid part of a birth plan and Mm -hmm. something that would be great for your care providers to know Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I've had people say you know this I've had people's birth plans that are literally just I go really fast yeah and so when I say I feel like pushing believe me you (laughs) know or or you know the opposite of like my labors are always really slow until the very end. Yeah. And so, you know, I think, again, some of it's the personal knowledge, personal confidence, the personal experience, if right. it's not your first baby. Um, you know, and I think that that's also just kind of we just talked about this with pushing, but also just knowing what makes you feel comfortable in late stages of pregnancy. Have you liked taking long baths? Have you liked going on long walks? Those might give you some clues as to what you want to do during labor, too. Yeah. So it can kind of set you up for success. Um, 
another aspect of the birth plan we talked about is after the baby's born. Yeah. Um, for mom and baby, there's some things that to plan for. I think for mom, one of the things I immediately think about is just postpartum management of bleeding. Mm-hmm. And um, again, this is something to talk to your provider about and to kind of understand their philosophy. Um, there's different philosophies for some people, low as low intervention as no intervention. Um, for some people, there's kind of coaching of physiological processes through fundal massage. For some people, there's a pretty firm belief in chemical intervention yeah. and what they call active management of um, postpartum bleeding. So again, it's just something you want to talk to your provider about and do some reading on for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that I think it's good to talk about this before is it'll be the last thing you're thinking about when it's happening. Right. Um, because you'll have a baby in your arms. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's good to kind of understand um, your provider's perspective and, and their kind of their approach. And if you guys can be on the same team about that. And then also, you know, as we always say, or if it went down another path where yeah. you needed some intervention, what they would want to do and um, kind of understanding your consent for that. Another reason I think during the newborn and postpartum period that it's really important to think through those options is that things happen so quickly. You know, I mean, labor sometimes happens quickly too, but labor is usually somewhat drawn out. You know, Mm -hmm. each stage is going to carry on for some, some period of time. And, you know, even, even women who don't push for that long, usually at least still push for some, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Um, But once that baby is born, it's like, the number of things that are happening, obviously there's the delivery of the placenta, which can take a little while, but you know, that's happening right in that time. There's mm-hmm. the management of bleeding. There's all the, all the tests and stuff they start doing to the newborn. Um, Cord clamping. Yeah. So many, so many things that are just routine and they're kind of all just happening at once. And you're mm-hmm. not even going to register or know like half of what's going on if you haven't made it clear, you know, what you, what you want. And a lot of it, a lot of it comes down to a couple of really simple philosophical pieces, which is like, I want my baby with me. You know, I it, unless that baby needs to go somewhere for like immediate medical attention, like I want that baby on my chest. You know, they can they can they can do their evaluation on the chest. Mm-hmm. They can, you know, even if you are deciding to do, um, you know, some of the some of the the testing and and administering of shots and all of that that they do for newborns, even those things can be done while the baby's with you. They don't have to take the baby away to do those things. Um, So I think, you know, that sort of broader philosophical piece can cover a lot of it, but it's definitely good to get into the details of, you know, what, what you want during that period, because there will be a lot that is, that is coming at you and coming at the baby all at once. Yeah. And I think some of those things you hit on, like, would be with the baby specifically being, you know, if you want the cord to be clamped, you want it to continue to pulse after birth. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you want your placenta to be delivered? Do you want it to kind of come on its own? Do you want any kind of management with that? What do you want done with the placenta once it comes out? Right. And do you want it to be stored by the hospital? Do you want to store it privately? Do you Would you want like it, it made into a milkshake? Do you want a milkshake? Is there a need to collect cord blood or gases or any of those things? Um, And then, like you mentioned, skin to skin right after birth, um, your preferences on that. Um, Especially if you're having a baby in a hospital setting, your preferences on medications that are Mm -hmm. offered to baby. These are things that you will be giving your consent for. 
Um, but also, again, you want to kind of have that forethought ahead of time. Yep. Because um, there's just so many of them and it's all fast. It's all fast. And I think, you know, this kind of brings me to a piece of birth plan that I often see kind of neglected or missing is your pediatric care. Mm. So um, if you're having your baby um, out of the hospital, a lot of times midwives will manage some of that pedi- immediate pediatric care. But I think, you know, a lot of people spend a lot of time, this this thing we're talking about, this birth preferences list, this birth plan is, is a time consuming thing to think about to yeah. research and I sometimes have women with these beautiful plans and preferences for birth and they haven't met with pediatricians they haven't talked about what would happen right. after the baby's born you know again just like when babies are born most babies are born and everything's fine but if your baby did have any kind of complications it would be nice to know who's caring for your baby yeah and who you wanted involved in that care right. so I think in formulating your birth plan you get this kind of this leg up on that pediatric piece where you say these are the things that I want these are the medications I do and don't want these are the tests I do and don't want run Um, this is the kind of you know care I would want in the hospital if this happened or that happened and those are all really great conversations to have while you're pregnant with a pediatrician yeah Um, I, I don't know if most people don't know or just haven't heard of you know you it's completely appropriate to interview pediatricians Mm -hmm. and um kind of just like we've talked so much about in interviewing midwives or obgyns uh you do have a choice and so within you know your network and your neighborhood finding someone that you trust and finding someone that you agree with their philosophy of care uh for you know for for babies for kids and and kind of finding that person before you have a baby yeah, that's a good idea. And it can kind of help you form some of the questions that you would encounter if you used any kind of birth plan template. Right. I wanted I wanted to ask you just from the from the clinical perspective, from the, you know, wh- the end of the the process that you mm-hmm. see things from, if there's, you know, one or two, whatever, things that you would like a mom to know about birth plans from your perspective, what would that be? I think if I want to be an honest representation of most people who do my job, <laughs> I would say most people don't love the birth plan. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a little bit of, I don't want to say, I don't think resentment is the right word at all because it's too personal. Yeah. I think what it can come across as, like I had mentioned before, is it's this, I don't think you know what you're doing. It's defensive. It's defensive. So it's yeah. like, I think some nurses can take it as a, you're against me and here's all the things that I don't want you to do to me mm-hmm. or that I know better than you. And I think that's obviously a personal, for nurses, that's a personal thing to get over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, and if you even just like Google birth plan or nursing memes. There's plenty out there to let you know kind of what that affect is, which is like you think you know how this is going to go, but you don't. Yeah. Or that people who have birth plans into pussy sections. That's something I've heard mm-hmm. before. I think that that is something that can be a part of the nomenclature. And again, I think it comes from that idea that it's people who t- like if you hold things too tightly and you aren't open to that collaboration mm-hmm. it can sometimes negatively affect your your outcome and yeah. so much of that we like we're saying has to do with the controlling aspect not the confidence aspect yeah so I think that you know this is not from my personal opinion but if I'm trying to kind of speak for pieces of 
uh, my profession, there is a little bit of that. Um, I think that that's tending to kind of change and soften as providers are more on board Mm -hmm. with birth plans. And also when people kind of put in the pieces that we spoke about, like a personal piece um, and an interactive piece. I think if you, again, if you feel confident that the environment that you are giving birth in is supportive of normal physiological birth, then that person is on your team. And so I think even if you come in with a plan and maybe people are kind of like, oh, no, Lisa's got a birth plan. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. she's got a lot of things on there. And, like, what if it doesn't go that way? I think that if you can invite people to be on your team, all of that dissolves. And so I think that that, that would be a negative of a birth plan, I guess, from a nursing perspective in the hospital. is just the idea that it's like this person thinks that all of this is going to happen exactly like this. Yeah. Or, you know, and and... Or this person has completely unrealistic expectations. Right. So, you know, for example, if you are coming in the hospital to be induced and you tell me that you don't want to be monitored, that's an unrealistic expectation. Right. And someone has failed you in that. You know, either it was your provider who hasn't explained to you that that's not how it works. Yeah. And now I'm the person that kind of has to. You have to be the bad guy now. Yeah. I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm beyond the bad guy. It's like. Yeah. You're the I, enemy. I, yeah. I'm the enemy now. Now I'm already doing something that you don't want to do. Another thing, if you are going to be chemically induced, you have to have an IV. Yeah. So it's like, I think that sometimes the birth line becomes this struggle. Yeah. It's like tug of war between the patient and the nurse because if things are not going the way, if things are going down that alternative path the concessions are start to line up. Yeah. And so then, you know, and and the mother can in her head just be ticking off like all of the things she feels like she had to compromise on and not not be seeing it in the bigger picture. Right. I mean, I I recall, you know, once reworking a plan with someone Mm -hmm. because the reality was like they had planned for not and like to not be induced. Yeah. And so there were things that had to change and they weren't things that had to change because I was saying they had to change. They were just realities that were different. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of like jokingly together, like went in with a red marker and was like, well, this isn't going to happen this way. Like, how can I be, you know, how can this how can I be more comfortable with this decision? Yeah. So I think that's that's the other side is the positive. I love working with women who know what they want. Mm-hmm. I love working with women who feel very confident in their body, who are confident in the process that they're entering into in the journey that they're on I think that some of that is just and the idea that that's what I think that's that's what I believe and so if I can if the birth plan can be a bridge between me and someone and it can be the thing that we mentioned it could be a thing where I kind of get this kind of like you know I guess insight into who they are and then I can affirm that by saying that's what I think too or that's how we practice here. You know, so many times I feel like moms are worried about that piece right after delivery. Like, do I get to have skin to skin time? So I always go out of my way to explain absolutely and this is all the things that we've done in our hospital to make that possible Mm -hmm. and we really value that. And so the birth plan can be a bridge. I think it can be a really helpful one too. I think me respecting that as a bridge just as much as me affirming it and saying, oh, I, I think that too. Me being respectful of your plan and your ideas builds that rapport too so I think that that's the positive of a birth plan in a hospital environment is that with the right collaboration and kind of just getting to know each other then it becomes this connection point where I I check in and I think like what did I remember in your birth line you said something about like not wanting to use a belly band or not wanting to do this like is that something that you'd be open to now like because I think this would really work it's like by me remembering and respecting wishes you know, again, I get you to kind of even honor. Make, yeah, you can even, the suggestions that you do make, 
you can make them in the context of knowing what's important to the mother. Because it, what we talked about at sort of near the beginning is behind everything you don't want is something you do want. And mm-hmm. that is, I think, very important to remember about a mom, even a mom who is maybe acting defensively or mm-hmm. confrontationally, is that she's saying these are the things I don't want. But really what she wants to, is this other is this experience. And how can we help her still achieve that even though maybe some of these other things have become necessary or at least we at least want to suggest them right and I think you know whether it's a birth center a hospital or your home even there's certain things that people just do and so I think that that is with a birth plan is a strength and a weakness is it's a good it's a good kind of way to kind of remember the things about my practice Mm -hmm. that I might need to 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 kind of I don't know, not, I mean, I guess change, like some changes I can make to be more respectful to someone as an individual. So, you know, something that sometimes is on people's birth plan is they don't want nursing students or they don't want residents involved. And so that's something easy that I can help be respected for them. Or, you know, sometimes people just don't want people coming in and out of the room a lot. Right. And so there are are certain parts of that 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 I can control. So I can say, you know, like, I'm going to check on you and then I'm going to go on a break. So if you need something in the next 30 minutes, it would be someone else who would be coming in. And so it's almost like, I know you don't want a bunch of people coming in. So I want to let you know if you do call, it won't be me. It will be someone that you haven't met yet or, you know, preparing them. Okay, well, it will be me and the midwife, but somebody else will be coming when the baby's born. And so it's just those kind of things, like we said, where it's like you can kind of set up by really understanding what people really want, you know, via the, the birth preferences or plan then you can kind of set people up for success and kind of yeah. having having their wishes respected and honored. I think you really said something powerful too and, and then it's like no matter what's happening, um, you know, whether it's an emergency situation or a normal situation, there's something inside uh, the woman that's driving whatever is happening, whether the, p- the response is positive or negative. Mm-hmm. And being able to kind of ascertain and acknowledge that is really important. I think that's, wh- that's you know, where we tie back in with the doula and the provider piece is that your your provider or your doula should be helping you kind of suss that out in those moments. That's yeah. their strength. You know, the strength of, you know, many great midwives I work with is saying, I know that that's not what you wanted. But, but th- this is what I think we should do. And this is why yeah. I think it's best. And acknowledging and and honoring that and saying, yeah. like, absolutely, I know this is a difficult decision for you. And, you know, whether it's that thing we talked about where let's take some time to think about it. But it's also just acknowledging it and saying, like, I have had those conversations with him and so many times where it's like, I know that you didn't want to get an epidural. I know you didn't want to use Pitocin or I know that you didn't want to even be in the hospital. Right. Um, but how, like, what can I do to help you make, help you make, help make you feel comfortable now mm-hmm. that that is the decision that you've made. Yeah. And it's really important that in all of this, you know, the, the bottom line for me with planning and preferencing is these are the decisions that you were making. Every decision that happens in birth is your decision. Yeah. It can sometimes not feel that way. And that's when it's important to take those pause moments, but it is your decision. And so you need to feel good about the decisions that you're making and your partner needs to feel good about those decisions too. Yeah. Um, if I had one thing I would say to women about birth plan, it would be two things. (laughs) (laughs) 
first would be to do the research because just making a birth plan in a vacuum based on things that you think you want or that you maybe know a little bit of information about or that you've heard other people talk about um, or even that you've heard us mention on this show. Um, you know, we haven't talked about the evidence for any of these things and that's not the scope of, of this episode. Um, I definitely think it's, especially for any of the things that, you know, that you feel strongly about that you do the research and know, mm-hmm. you know, why you're making that choice. Um, in the unlikely event that you have to advocate for yourself with a care provider that feels differently about you in a non-emergency situation, you're going to want to know why you made that choice. You're going to mm-hmm. want to know why you don't want to be induced or augmented with Pitocin. Um, be, otherwise, you're going to end up feeling like I'm just... I'm just being tossed around here, you know? So that would be the first thing that I would say is is really do that research. And the second thing is you have to hold it with open hands. And mm-hmm. that's why we, we've used a million times now, like the word preference instead of plan, because birth doesn't go according to plan, even when everything goes just fine. It's never, it's never what we think it will be. Um, I've had two births and they have had absolutely no similarities to each other and neither have them neither of them have been anything like what I thought they would be like mm-hmm. I've had to, I had to make choices in both of them that you know I was not planning to make um did not want to have to make but I did have to make those choices and I do I do know that planning in advance gave me the confidence to to make those choices and to feel good about them because I had thought through yeah. all the angles. Um, and if you hold too tightly to that plan, um, you'll be disappointed in yourself. You'll be disappointed in the outcome. You'll be disappointed in the people that help you. Um, and it, it, it will affect the entire experience. And coming back to what Lara said about you know, how birth plans are perceived or, or received, especially in a hospital setting, you know, so much of the tone is going to be you bringing the approach of, this is how I really hope things will go. And here are mm-hmm. the choices that I want to make to, to create the greatest likelihood of these outcomes and of this, you know, sort of path that it takes. But I know that sometimes things happen that are outside of my control. And I trust you to help me make those decisions in those moments. Um, That will go so far towards really, really fostering that relationship so that in those moments you do feel like you can trust those people when those moments arise. So that would be my my two things that I would say. Yeah. So we will share in the show notes um, some resources for different birth planning tools that you can find online. There's a number of different ones that will actually, they're interactive. They'll take you through a list of questions where you can, you know, choose from several options mm-hmm. where then other options may pop up or disappear based on the selections you've made. Um, there are also a number of different PDF versions that you know you can just print and you know check boxes you can fill them out you can add things to them um we've talked a little bit about you know choosing some kind of mix of providing some personal information as well as you know some 
some details about specific things that you want to include or not include, mm-hmm. um, no matter what, I would say that it's best for a birth plan, however much or little detail is on it, for it to be categorical and for it to be visual. If you've just got like something that looks like an essay and like half of the preferences are buried in the middle of a paragraph, that is not going to be helpful to the people that you're sharing it with. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be helpful for you to reference if you need to do that. Um, so a lot of the tools that are online will categorize things into, you know, into these different sections for you. Um, one of the ones that we really like is the birth plan that the bump puts together and mm-hmm. it is a PDF version, but um, it just does a really nice job of, of, you know, creating sections for the different choices that you'll be making and then presenting them in a way that's really easy to reference for you and for staff. So we'll share some of those resources uh, in the show notes and I think they'll be helpful to you. How are you planning? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Happy preferencing. <laughs> Happy strong preferencing. Okay, well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. And again, don't forget to go back if you haven't already and listen to the first part of this episode, which is episode 14. And if you have questions about birth planning or birth preferencing, as we've been calling it, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on Instagram, on Facebook, or via email at melissa at motherbirth.co. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Lara and Lisa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period. 